We're in the heart of the retreat. Little over halfway our time together. It's been a wonderful offering of ourselves to this path of practice. Let's help create the conditions so that the more subtle dimensions of the path can become apparent to us. So encouraging us to continue to take uh, this opportunity to reflect because of the considerable good karma, the blamelessness of cultivating restraint, attention to the way things are, appreciating the moments as they arise, steadying ourselves, grounding ourselves with mindfulness of the body, breathing, steadying, relaxing, widening, little by little gathering in all the moments of our day and our life to this blessing allowing the conditions, the patterns, the experiences of our life to be blessed. Not so much from a bias or a compulsion, but blessed by intimate contact with the Buddha, with knowing, with awareness. In the Sharangama Sutra, which we've alluded to, a great uh, Mahayana text, where Avalokiteshvara features prominently her meditation method for awakening, listening to the sounds purely, or returning the hearing to listen into to the true nature. Her meditation method became the origin of Zen, the origin of Chan, as the the Buddha had uh, 25 of the great sages each talk about their path to enlightenment. All of them are wonderful. But uh, the Buddha wanted to choose one to help Ananda, who his attendant had run into some difficulties, to choose one that would be appropriate for Ananda and also would be very useful for those in the later ages of the Dhamma, what's called the Dhamma ending ages, like us. It's called Sarangama, but it means durable. The essence of that method is turning the mind 
to the timeless, to the deathless. There's a quote from, uh, from that discourse uh, that I would like to read. This is the Buddha speaking, the reason that those who cultivate cannot accomplish unsurpassed awakening is that they do not know the two fundamental roots and are mistaken and confused in their cultivation. They're like one who cooks sand in the hope of creating a tasty delicacy. They may pass through as many eons as there are motes of dust, but in the end, they will not obtain what they want. It's the first part of the quote. The Buddha is saying that we don't understand two fundamental roots of our practice doesn't have this fundamental understanding that even though we make great effort in our cultivation that's another word for our practice the word the Buddha used for meditation is bhavana which means to bring into being to cultivate like you would do with a garden he said like one who cooks sand, uh, hoping to create a savory delicacy, a tasty meal. One can have 10 out of 10 for effort, but if we're with all the energy and good intention in the world, we're cooking sand. This is the importance of of right view so that our efforts are are not, uh, they might be wonderful efforts, but if they're not guided by understanding, they can be futile. So the Buddha goes on, what are these two roots? He's talking to Ananda, remember this discourse, his disciple Ananda had gotten in some trouble, which is a whole other story. Ananda, the first root is the root of beginningless birth and death. Remember, Tanisha was talking about samsara last night. The root of beginningless birth and death, which is the mind that seizes upon conditions that you and I and all living beings now make use of, taking it to be the self-nature, taking it to be me. The root of beginningless birth and death, and that means the root of beginningless suffering, the root cause, is this mind that we're all making use of, grasping on conditions and taking them to be me, mine, owning them. The second, the second root, is the primal, pure substance of the beginningless, awakened Nibbana. It is the primal, bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions. But because of conditions, you consider it to be lost. 
living beings lose sight of the original brightness. Therefore, though they use it to the end of their days, they are unaware of it. And without intending, they enter the various destinies. What are the various destinies? Imagining I'm happy, and I'm happy, I'm in a heavenly realm, I'm in a hellish realm. We enter the destinies because we don't recognize this original brightness. So again, the second root is this primal, pure substance of the beginningless, awakened Nibbana. It is the primal, bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions. But because of conditions, we think it's lost. Living beings lose sight of the original brightness. And therefore they use it to the end of their days. They are unaware of it. And while without intending to, they enter the various destinies. cause of birth and death is grasping at conditions. Like feeling happy. Oh, yes, it feels like me. Leaning on that, that, finally, God, I broke through. How long did that take? Oh, I better write that down. And (laughs) leaning on that, and it's wonderful. And we're happy, but that's called birth. We, We take a mood, and it seems so solid. It's, I'm happy. Lean on that. That's what's called upadana, grasping. And then bhava, the sense of yes. Oh. And then jati, it's, we're, we're born. But the nature of conditions is to change. And we're discovering that as we deepen in our practice. Because feelings, moods, circumstances, forms, perceptions shift. And... We're born, and then as it changes, there's a wobbling, and then a a seeking, a scanning to re-establish. Usually moving to something that's pleasing. We can also move to something that's painful if we think that way I'll deserve the truth. But grasping at conditions taking it to be me and mine, the root of endless birth and death. Whatever we take hold of, thinking it's me and true because of anicca, because of this lawfulness of dharma, every form, every feeling, just like now, this moment, dharma talk, um, valasitos, Notice the date on our retreat said 2028, so I'll see you in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) But still, this Dharma song, Kitty Sorrow, end of our fourth day and night together, we think and think, oh gosh, I've got a little more time, I've got to get there. But if we actually look at these conditions, we can take the notion that I'm doing well or I'm not doing well. But if we touch this moment with wise reflection, allow it to reveal itself, the Dharma talk is full of all sorts of gaps and holes as the sounds manifest and dissolve. 
manifest and dissolve, intermixed with our feelings of our body, our own perceptions and responses, the lights and forms, if our eyes are open and we can see, woven in. This flow, this cascade of conditionality, the shifting and changing, grasping that, taking it to be me and mine, the Buddha said is the root cause. All birth and death. Ajahn Chah, our teacher, put it this way. He said, if you look for certainty in that which is uncertain, you're bound to suffer. In Zen they call it polishing the brick, hoping to get a mirror. These conditions we get, even with our meditation, we get some skill and we're starting to get peaceful and that calm. Not understanding this principle, calm is wonderful, but not understanding this principle, I just thought if I hold it enough it will just turn into Nibbana, like growing up on Lake Chickamauga, as I did, and in the summer evenings when, the wind, when it was calm, the lake was smooth as glass, and you could whisper and, and be heard from a distance, it seemed. You could hear someone talking from a distance, and you get little resonances way across the bay on the Tennessee River. Appreciating that, and then (laughs) someone's enjoying because smooth water is wonderful for water skiing. (laughs) You can lean and put big sprays in the air. But where's my peace? (coughs) And calm is wonderful, but it's also conditioned by all sorts of circumstances. When the wind blows or conditions change or pain or hunger or whatever, disturbance. But if we don't understand that first root of birth and death, and like me, I was a snapping turtle with calm in my (laughs) early monastic life. I would just hang on to that thing. (laughs) And for years I declared a war on clocks. In the monastery, on our Tanisha talked about these uh, long retreats. I, I, because I was so greedy for experiences in meditation, I loved that time because just go deep. But then the abbot brought a ticking clock in, into the. <laughs> what is the man thinking? I mean, literally, it's a long time between one second, but then clang. <laughs> You know, in that one second I get peaceful again and then boom, it's like someone hitting me. So I thought, the, the, the man. So then I put pads under the clocks. And that wasn't good enough. And then I surreptitiously, I wasn't stealing it, had to convince myself I would find a quiet clock. But as Ajahn Chah would, would smile, Maichalah. Wrong view. Mitya Didi Lamang. It just means not smart, 
wrong view. <laughs> Is that clock disturbing you, or are you disturbing the sound out there? You know. And yet, when we don't understand that, we squeeze conditions, wanting them to give us what they can't give us. That's not fair to life. It's a. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of ripping the sacred out of every moment. That when we're working with conditions, the Buddha compared it to, to holding a baby bird. Hold too tightly. Hurt, harm, crush. Too loose and we, we flies away. We appreciate this amazing nature of conditions. Wanting the conditions, the happiness itself, the, the calm, the, the success, wanting that to be satisfy us is the trying to cook sand. The second primal, the second root, primal essence of consciousness which we use all the time, but we overlook. That which gives rise to all conditions. Lose touch with the original brightness. Because of conditions, we think it's gone. What conditions? When we're feeling miserable or in pain. Oh, the original, they got it, but it's gone. <laughs> and so then, we, we forget that it's right here and now. That it's within us. So we look over there. And we think it's your fault. So we blame this person, push something away, grab hold of it, become, think we have to get somewhere else. And already, through that view, we're, that's a sankara, a construction, where we're creating the sense that it's a desert here. The jewel is not here, the sacred is not here, the really precious and holy is not here, it's there. I'm getting to it. So what is this? The Buddha talked about something undying, peaceful, always here and now. One of the Buddha's great disciples, named Anuruddha, before his awakening, he was blind. but a very hard worker and uh, didn't let that deter him and he meditated with such dedication and skill that his inner eye opened up and he was known as foremost in the Sangha with the divine eye. But before his awakening he he was still encountering some trouble and he went and talked to uh, the Buddha's uh, chief disciple, Sariputra, who was foremost in wisdom. And he um, went to Sariputra and said, uh, Sariputra, with my divine eye that surpasses the, the human, I can see the thousand-fold cosmos. 
my persistence is is sustained, it's unsluggish. That means his effort. My mindfulness is established and unshaken. My body is calm. The mind is concentrated. But I still suffer. And Sariputra, with some classic, uh, quiet, dry, maybe even British uh, (laughs) humor, but profundity, says, friend, when you have the thought, uh, my divine eye is purified, surpassing the human that can see the thousandfold cosmos, that thought is connected to your conceit. When you have the thought, my persistence is unsluggish, my mindfulness is established, my body is calm, my heart is concentrated, those thoughts are connected to your restlessness. When you have the thought, but I still suffer, that thought is connected to your anxiety. Don't attend to those qualities. Rather, you should turn your mind to the deathless. It's in the Theravada scriptures. Turn your mind to that which is always here and now. Mindfulness, he was working with conditions, working with relaxing, working with focusing, was all good stuff. But like trying to cook sand and hoping for savory delicacies, there's only so much conditions themselves can give us back, even when we're really good at it. We're wanting something that's essentially shifting and changing to give us stability and peace. If they can't do it, don't attend to those qualities. The way that we're fixated on things, fixated on thoughts, fixated on problems, fixated on concern, turn your mind to the deathless. This became a real teaching in our Theravada practice, our teacher. And uh, remember one of the words for wise reflections that the Buddha used is yoniso manasikara. Manasikara means manas is mind, kara, placing in yoni, the womb of the mind, the conditions that happen. So rather than just looking at conditions, also looking around the conditions. So to guide us into this uh, practice, we were encouraged to uh, notice forms, which we do, but we forget that there is no form without space. 
just noticing that form that can be formed because of space, that can be sound because of silence, an experience that we're experiencing can only happen because of awareness, consciousness. So it is said as space is to form and silence is to sound. So to his awareness, to all of experience. So we would start contemplating in our monastery the silence after sounds. The silence before sounds. Remember in this same uh, discourse, the Sharangam of the Buddha talk, you know, consciousness is not in the mind, not in the body, but that the body, the mountains, the rivers, Mother Earth herself are all within the mind. And so rather than the mind just going out to conditions and latching on conditions, as we start to notice that conditions shift and change, but they shift and change in what? Sounds manifest in what? In a ground of listening, a ground of silence. Kuan Yin's method was... uh, also turning the mind to the deathless. It's called the sharangama samadhi because if you're just depending on a condition that changes, that samadhi shifts and moves. But if the samadhi is turning the mind to that which never moves, her method was hearing, listening to the sounds, but rather than chasing sounds, returning the hearing, listening into hearing itself, listening to the hearing and allowing sounds to arise and return back. That turning the mind to what remains, what is undying. So in the monastery we'd be encouraged to mind the gap between conditions and to have thoughts Ordinary thoughts, I'm sitting, I'm practicing, that sense of me doing this, but that thought would come up, and then as it dissolved, what remains? The thoughts is coming and going, or the question, which is that Chan method of returning, returning the attention to that which knows, The question, what remains? So that that changes, that's a sound that comes and goes. What remains but the listening doesn't disappear. So if one focuses, one gateway into Niroda, the ending of creation, the ending of always looking somewhere else, 
is to notice the ending of sounds, the ending of a breath, the ending of a thought. And then rather than chasing different things externally, one noticing that which remains. The first disciple who got this principle when the Buddha gave his first sermon on the Four Noble Truths was Kandanya. At the end of the discourse, the Buddha said, Kandanya knows, Kandanya knows. He knows what arises, what has the nature to arise, has the nature to cease. You think, well, that's not very much. What has the nature to arise has the nature to cease. When he saw things that were changing, he realized trying to want something that's changing to give me lasting peace is crazy. As the Buddha said, it's like a yacht chasing its tail. It won't get there. It's endless. What arises ceases. And in that recognition, all that is changing is not mine. I can appreciate it, but it's not mine. There's that (coughs) relinquishment and then resting back into that ground. In that first discourse in the Pali uh, version, the Buddha names that Kandanya broke through. He opened his Dharma eye. He touched Nibbana. In the Sarangama Sutra, Kandanya says a little more about uh, what helped him break through. And he said an image helped him. And a simile helped him. He called it guest dust. He said that if you, if a, if a traveler comes to a hotel, <coughs> has a meal, maybe stays for a night, and then moves on, the traveler or the guest comes and goes, but the host remains. Or when light is coming through a crack in the wall, a beam of light, and one sees the dust dancing, the myriad particles of dust dancing, illumined by the light. The dust dances, but space remains unmoved. Dust guessed. He said he realized it is the nature of dust to dance. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the nature of conditions, the shift and shimmer. It's the nature of conditions to be guests that come and go, but the space remains unmoved. The host stays at home. These are similes. But when we start to Yoniso Manisikara, this radical reflection, this turning back and listen into the heart itself. We still notice the sounds coming and going, but rather than chasing them, we're starting to notice that sounds arise and cease within a medium, a listening silence. Our experience right now of doing well or not doing so well is manifesting before within this brightness of awareness. 
So when Sariputra said, don't attend to, don't be just glued to, again and again, I'm not enlightened, I, you know, I'm still suffering. He didn't say crush them, but he just don't attend. If they come up, they're like birds flying through the sky. But notice, they're the guests that come and go. What remains? Similar to this Sharangama principle in the Theravada and the Nguta Renikaya, there's, there's another discourse called the Mula Sutta about roots. Just as the Sarangama talk about the two roots, root of birth and death is the grasping mind and the root of that essence of consciousness, the original brightness that we overlook when we're too busy getting somewhere or getting rid of something. In the Theravada, it's called the Root Sutra. Just ten lines, so succinct. Rooted in desire, friend, are all things, said the Buddha. Born of attention are all things. Arising on contact are all things. Converging on feeling are all things. Headed by concentration are all things. Ruled by mindfulness are all things. Surmountable by wisdom are all things. Yielding deliverance as essence are all things. Merging in the death are all things culminating in Nibbana are all things ruled well, desire with desire and wanting something is we generate a sense of something separate out there that we want there's an out there and an in here just from that very thought what the Buddha called Papancha Nothing evil about thought, but when the thought, something I want, when we concretize that, are not aware that the thought itself is like a bubble, an ephemeral wisp. But it reifies the sense of there's a something out there I want. It, and there's an out there and I want, I don't have. Even this little sense of I creates a you, a here, are there, it's called papancha because it complicates. Rooted in desire. Generates a sense of thingness. And then we identify with it and, and possess this body, this land, this circumstance, this mood, this power. That's birth. Then as it shifts, we try to keep grasping it and get angry and knock others away keep what is mine, what I deserve, or the myriad ways that manifests. But ruled by mindfulness, the way home is is started with mindfulness. Surmountable by wisdom, as mindfulness gets stronger and we start then to notice this flowing, shifting, ephemeral, changing, 
And then we start to think, well, it's something that's changing, like a waterfall. I can call it my waterfall, but does that make sense? We can be in awe of a waterfall, but it's not really mine. This body-mind circumstance is not really mine. Surmountable by wisdom in this next line, yielding deliverance as essence are all things. Every single circumstance. Even Anuruddha, when even he had it all together, but he was still suffering. Sariputra pointed him to the deathless. Or even when things aren't going well, the Buddha says, the peaceful, timeless Dhamma is always here and now, immediate, inviting us, like a magnet drawing us, because it's our nature. So yielding deliverance as essence, no matter what it is that's happening, a despair, a rage, a sense of a plateau, a doubt. All those conditions, whatever they are, if we recognize they are happening, shimmering, shifting within that which remains, within that womb, that matrix, what the Buddha called the womb of the Tathagata, Tathagata Garbha. It means that which gives birth to the Buddhas and all things. Every circumstance has as its essence freedom, spacious freedom. Right now our body, moods, thoughts are manifesting within that which is unbounded, that which is luminous. The next line is very important. Merging in the deathless are all things. The line is, Thingness, separation, particularity, which we believe in so much, and it has its blessing, but when we concretize it and make it our identity, then we become an orphan from our sacred core where all things merge. All things merge in the deathless. Some similes can, can help us. Uh, uh, a few that I really love are the simile of trees. The magnificent ponderosa pine. Oh, amazing. The aspen. I've never really appreciated aspen and they're shimmering. Light and sounds. We can have our favorites. Or we can call some, those are invasive, I don't know. <laughs> or, uh, I miss my oak trees. Or the silver birch, which is like the, a little like the aspen or the beech. Or in KwaZulu-Natal, they grow slowly and they might look a bit ornery, but they're incredible, these fire-resistant, drought-resistant, Trees that grow at Damagiri, uh, the Ohot and the Hilaria, the Budleas are amazing. But where do all the different ones merge? We can on the surface notice how they're all separate, but if we look closely we realize a tree is not a tree unless it's rooted. 
rooted in the ground and if you go down into the roots and into earth and you get to the place where it's unified you can't distinguish when we're externally focused on the separation combined with a thought that says me, you and labeling we don't realize that that all these so-called separate things arise and dissolve back into this heart that listens, heart that is aware. And just as every limb that falls off the different trees all and all the leaves return back to earth, Mother Earth, that deep, non-dual, unified totality. I remember the first time I had a breakthrough. We were talking about teachers. Sometimes even a book can make a huge difference. The great sage Nisargadatta, hundred of his conversations were recorded, translated by this wonderful translator, Maurice Friedman. It just captured the essence. And I'd heard it before, but it just somehow it clicked with. Nisargadatta was talking about even the simplest thought, I am. Let that thought remind you of what is most ordinary. But he said, let that thought dissolve. We're always wanting to be this and that, the best or right or happy. But whatever the eye grasps onto, it shifts and changes. He just said, let the thought appear, but let it dissolve. Notice the background. And so I then started welcoming the different thoughts, all the views of, I'm this way. I have good intentions, but I keep getting tripped up. And, but letting each thought dissolve. Noticing what remains. The frightful thoughts, the hopeful thoughts. are like bubbles. The Buddha says we we take a bubble to be the whole sea, the whole ocean. We get so mesmerized and enchanted by our thoughts, not really realizing they pop in this space of listening. Then our teacher Ajahn Sumedho, who took this deeper in minding the gap, letting a thought rather than building a, a mountain of beautiful arguments, letting a simple thought and noticing the ending of it. Or a question that points the mind right back here to this source of knowing, like, what remains? Who is trying? And my heart will answer, me, Dumbo, me, Dumbo, and you'll hear that, me, Dumbo, but then that will vibrate through the mind and dissolve, and there's still that there's the sky like hearts there. Who's trying so hard? Me. Peers, where is this me? Keeps dissolving, 
So the Buddha said that our heart is like a sky. Where we live in Africa, the skies are incredible. And here the skies are amazing. Out in the wilderness, stars shimmer. And in KwaZulu-Natal, the Ukahlamba, Drakensberg Mountains, the thunderstorms come in and when they happen in the evening, incredible flashes of lightning. And I love the, the extraordinary purple haze on the flashes, but they go so fast and you want to see them longer, but they're gone. And you're going to be right there for the next one. (laughs) But trying to catch lightning is a little bit like trying to polish a brick and hoping to get a mirror. (laughs) But if one returns the seeing, we're still seeing, we're still hearing, but allow conditions to touch us. The lightning flashes, but we notice the immensity of the night sky remains unmoved. And the unmoving night sky doesn't contend with the changing conditions. They both are perfectly interfused. The form is empty and the empty is form. It's a suchness. But there would be no lightning without that luminous, unfathomable, boundless night sky, which is our heart. It's always here. In every word. In a holy mantra, which is not thinking to get somewhere else. But the value of a mantra is it uses the cognitive, but the words, namo kwanji pusa, or whatever our mantra is, keep dissolving, reminding us to trust the listening and touch into that which remains, that which is always here, this original brightness. Though the Buddha didn't want us to attach too much to labels because we, that's what we do. We hold on to the signposts. He wanted us to understand this, this cessation of suffering is not a bad thing. This Nibbana is true. It's real. It's peaceful. And he, he gave words just to encourage us to trust in this letting go. He called Nibbana on different occasions the truth, the other shore, the subtle, the everlasting, the invisible, peace, the undying, the blessed safety, the wonderful, freedom, the harbor, the refuge. Words that dissolve and point us back to the beautiful. May we be encouraged by the saints and sages, by the Buddha. And like Anuruddha himself, when his 
dear friend, Sariputra said, don't keep just focusing on what... Turn your mind to the deathless. We can do it. We can also start noticing the space, the silence around the sounds, the ground, where every breath, every thought dissolves back into. Peace is inviting us. May we keep trusting this path.